0: This is Commerce Shenanigans, episode 646 Flashback to Identity Crisis. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 646. It's our flashback to Identity Crisis episode. I will say that this is uh, noticeably different from the last time I did a flashback episode to something called Identity Crisis, which would have been way, 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 way back. I couldn't even believe how far back. It would have been episode 128, back from December 22nd, 2013. Uh, That time I did a flashback uh, to Spider-Man's storylines called Spider-Hunt and Identity Crisis. That is not what we're doing today. Today we're talking about DC's Identity Crisis, uh, a very different series. Uh, both tonally, uh, they feel like they could—they could not. It's interesting. It's—it's it's interesting how time plays tricks on you. Obviously, when you're younger, the um, time seems to unfold at a different clip or a different speed than when you get older. So, in a lot of ways, like the um, DC's Identity Crisis did not come out that much later than. Marvel's uh, Spider-Man's Identity Crisis but uh, in terms of how I internalize or how I interact with it as, as someone who was reading comics when both storylines were happening you know you had Identity Crisis coming out you know June to December 2004 and Identity Crisis was back in 1998 and only six years You know separates those but in terms of how old i was it could not have felt like a bigger gulf of time because i mean when identity crisis was coming out uh, sorry the spider-man one was coming out in 998 you know i would have been 14 years old for most of the year then 15 at the end of the year like 14 15 years old and then you fast forward and suddenly it's 2004 and now i'm like 2021 which again it doesn't sound like that big a difference but when you're that age it, it completely feels like a giant you know golf it could not felt like it took place in two different you know two you know it would have felt like a much different time frame than just 6 years ago it's interesting to go back and read identity crisis now because it feels very far removed from where we are now just in terms of obviously DC's gone through major changes since then. I mean this is 2004. We're talking a, a pre a pre infinite crisis world, pre you know Green Lantern becoming the biggest thing in the world, like that hadn't really happened yet. Like so many so many things that we take, you know, kind of for granted now hadn't occurred yet. Um, you know, just because of how long it's been, because you know again, this is fifteen years ago you had the new fifty two wipe everything away, you had Rebirth start to bring stuff back in. This is you know a storyline back when continuity still mattered, characters still mattered from both a, b, c, and d list, like everyone was kind of represented. This storyline is interesting to me because it's. I was not a big DC fan. I think that's been well documented that I probably didn't read much DC until university, which would have been 2002. Um, so this, when this came out, I would have been, it was start. I, I think, well, I guess it came out in the summer of 2004. So I would have been just about to enter my third year of university at that point. Um, so I had started reading more DC. Um, I, was, I was I was. definitely on that you know kind of on that bend i'm trying to remember when green lantern rebirth came out i guess it was probably after this because i think kyle's in this so uh i guess rebirth would have had to have occurred after but you know not that different i guess actually rebirth came out october 2004 so again not that different um when this first came out i remember being like what is this you know asking at the store and kind of being like well who who dies who's the who's the big death you know and uh and they're like well it's It's, uh, it's, 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 it's not someone you're going to know. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Because I I remember there was a lot of, like, speculation, like, who was going to die, and it ended up being, of all people, it was the elongated man's wife. Now, I didn't know what that meant. Um, I had not, I had never read the issues with, uh, with Sue Dibney. I didn't know who Sue Dibney was. I had no real emotional attachment to that character or, you know, to kind of the satellite version of the League. Like, I was a super neophyte when it came to DC Comics at this point in time. Like, I knew some stuff. I definitely knew, you know, most of the principal characters, at least I thought I did. Um, but this was definitely uh, opened my eyes to things I didn't really know at all. Um, and obviously it changed a lot of things. Uh, it, it, looking back on it, in terms of just what it did to the DC Universe, at least until New 52. I mean, after New 52, it kind of swept everything under the rug, so that would have been about seven years later. Um, and then suddenly nothing really mattered, except for if you were in the Batman and Green Lantern universes. And even then, depending on what they wanted to keep or, or maintain... Um, But yeah, this is instrumental. And it's interesting to look back on it because, you know, it's basically a murder mystery, but there's also so many repercussions. And when we look at, you know, events... Do they really play a, a part? And what's interesting about something like identity crisis is, first of all, they the name crisis, which hadn't been used really anywhere uh, up until this point. I and mean, now it feels like we always get a new crisis, but uh, which is—it's kind of like one of those overblown things. Like everyone's like, "Well, how many times is Jean Grey going to die and come back?" Really, it has barely ever happened. Um, but it's just it's one of those things that people. They just have a, you know, a certain feeling like it happens all the time, even though it doesn't. And I feel like the use of the word Crisis is one of those things. I mean, up until this point, it had not been used that often since uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, but this was, this was a big deal, that you were getting the name Crisis to kind of signify something big. And there are a lot of things that happened in here which definitely played out for years at DC Comics. And in a lot of ways, changed the game in terms of how certain villains would be viewed uh, and used... Uh, Definitely brought up a conversation, and it's interesting to think, like, would this necessarily happen today? Um, I mean, this is—the whole concept of, you know, women in refrigerators was still relatively—well, it's always been around, but as an actual verbalized concept was still relatively new at this point. I mean, I guess the actual— mitigating, you know, woman in a fridge is uh, is Kyle Rainer's girlfriend and I guess that would have been, what, 93, 94? But, you know, it wasn't like, no, I'd have to go do some research but I guess it was about the late, late 90s, early 2000s when it really started to take hold that, you know, it's not okay to just, you know, subject female characters to a lot of abuse just to do things to promote uh, development and, and putting male characters through their own storylines. And that's really what Identity Crisis is, so it's problematic for that reason. Um, now, on a writing standpoint, I mean, it's actually a really well-told story. I can honestly say that I remember reading that first issue of Identity Crisis, and a lot of it's about, you know, uh, elongated man telling this love story. You know, him and him and Sue, how they met, uh, how he can't believe that she picked him when, you know, she noticed him when, when Flash was there you know, back when the Barry Allen flash was you know, kind of making everyone interested in that she was his partner, she was his you know, the the, the greatest thing that ever happened in his life um, and it's all of him kind of telling the story while at the same time she's attacked and well, seemingly attacked and murdered and, uh, you know pretty horrific, she's like burned and it's, it's really gruesome and, uh no, this is one of those things from a story standpoint where I feel like we get it. It's tragic enough, and then they do the storytelling trope of not only is it tragic enough that elongated, elongated man's wife dies, like in pretty brutally, to be honest. Like you know what happens to her all, like, physically, and then she gets burned and she's like misshapen. Like it's pretty awful. But then the idea that uh, she died pregnant with his son, or sorry, her his child. Sorry, not his son. His his uh, child. It just feels like one of those overplayed. And I've been feeling this a lot lately, so um, I don't think I've made a lot of secret in the past, but my wife and I went through our own issues with fertility and miscarriages over the last few years. Uh, We're actually in the process of trying to adopt a a child right now. My son, uh, Zach, is a biological child. And um, so, you know, we... Went through a period of struggles where we had multiple miscarriages. It was very hard on us, and uh, especially on my wife, obviously. And um, I've found ever since that that it maybe it just feels this way to me. But it feels like whenever they don't know what to do with a couple in a storyline of something on TV, they're they go to right to a pregnancy. There's a pregnancy scare, or it's just it's used so often as a prop. Um, kind of not like quite like women in refrigerators, but you know, it's 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 used to just. To, you know, try and push character growth, uh, and that's not necessarily as natural as it could be. And it feels like it's happening in a lot of different places, and uh, it, it's just constantly happening. And there's a lot of you know, um, you know, whoopsie pregnancies, and uh, from someone who's had issues with fertility, it's more frustrating. So, uh, anyways, I notice that stuff more than I have ever noticed it before uh, in the last few years, and I roll my eyes a lot at a lot of different shows that my wife and I have watched because I'm like, really, this is where they have to go every single time. Anyways. So when they kill off a man's wife and then we find out, you know, the double emotional whammy that she was pregnant at the same time, it's one of those things that just bugs me because I'm like, we got it already. Like, you sold me on the love story between these two characters. I'm already, you know, upset for for this character who has lost the love of his life. Uh, it's horrific. Just even the way that Rags Morales and Art, sorry, I should have said this is by Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales, the way that Morales shows the absolute... Grotesque anguish on elongated man's face uh, as he just distorts because he's so overcome with grief. It so sells the scene that then by having the idea that she was pregnant as well, it doubles down a little. But in a way, I thought that was unnecessary. I remember years ago trying to, you know, I was you know telling my wife that she should really you know read *Identity Crisis*. It's a really good story. It's but this love story, and I forgot about. The f- I obviously I know that a character dies, but it's hard to you know introduce someone. To a character and then kill them and then also show that they are pregnant and my wife was just like no I'm out and I'm like yeah that was probably not the best call, um, but yeah no this and, and it's a good story because there's a lot of interesting things on in here as they try to figure out you know who would have killed Sue um, you know what and, and again it's. It's built to have a lot of great cliffhangers. Like you have this first issue, and and everyone's kind of freaking out about the fact that Sue died, obviously. And there's this great funeral, and everyone's trying to you know pull through and be strong for for uh, for Ralph. And then uh, you know the idea that you know there's a that version of the league kind of is together, and you just have Ralph talking and saying, "We know who did this. We never put it in the archives. You know, we help me find Doctor Light." And that. At the time, so again, I didn't know anything about DC, but I remember even just kind of seeing online, everyone's like, what does Dr. Light have to do with this? That that joke, you know, there's a character who most of the time is was kind of a punching bag for the Teen Titans. Um, and that's actually one thing to remember about this identity crisis is that there were not a lot of tie-ins. Uh, there definitely were a few, um, but this wasn't something that was... Uh, like you would usually see these days uh, in terms of being like really overblown in terms of the amount of um, crossovers you would get. This was relatively pared down, um, and the crossovers that we did get felt very—what's uh, the word? Well, they made sense. I mean, they were ones that made sense to kind of connect and tie in, and they kind of spilled out naturally and had characters dealing with different things. And that's something that you know, most modern crossovers can't always get right, um, whereas here it feels like they get it right more often than not in this particular storyline because, again, um, although there's, there's tie-ins, there's not too many. Um, which I am always impressed on looking back because I'm sure they had the idea that they could have put in more. I mean, really, there was only a few titles that actually crossed over. There was Flash, which had a really cool storyline, the idea that Barry Allen, and actually ended up making a huge difference to how that run kind of progressed and was uh, impacted um, a storyline that would be a couple months later, which was the Rogue War. Just the idea that uh, the top had been kind of mentally... um, uh, mind wiped and things had been done to him to try and kind of make him a hero and uh, the idea that maybe he wasn't the only one and again Wally kind of finding out that Barry did something that he regretted but didn't know what to do with that knowledge um, was really cool uh, there was obviously an issue of uh, Firestorm uh, that was connected and um, something happens to Firestorm really quickly. Uh, There was an issue of Manhunter that was related. Uh, There was a few issues of the JLA, which basically just kind of had the JLA kind of ended up disbanding as of the end of it. And that definitely was important to leading up to Infinite Crisis. Um, You kind of ended up having the JLA kind of disbanding as a result. And even then, I I believe that i trying to remember the actual publication date. I feel like JLA's crossover happened just kind of midway through Identity Crisis, but that obviously was important. And then you had a few issues of Teen Titans and JSA that were tied in as well. Uh, the Teen Titans one um, was cool because, again, it was about the Titans kind of going up against, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Dr. Light. And it was actually a pretty cool uh, series of storylines. Now that, when it finally came out, I think was like a year later, so it wasn't even right away. It was kind of something that um, took place afterwards, but definitely was very much related to the events of Identity Crisis itself. Anyway, so in this book you have uh, Sue Dibney gets murdered and then the idea is that everyone's kind of trying to figure out, you know, who, who did it uh, who was able to get it, you know, past the security at elongated man's home, and uh who would have the kind of the motive to do it. And then so much happens because you have the idea that again something happened with Dr. Light. You have uh everyone kind of deciding, you know, that, that they have to, you know, take the fight and find out who is the one who may have done something. Um you have the original Satellite Era League uh telling Wally Weston kind of come come and clean that Uh, Dr. Light found Sue and actually raped her, which uh, is still hard to read, and still upsetting, and I feel like maybe something that didn't need to happen. Um, no, it's interesting. I was reading an article the other day with Brad Meltzer, kind of uh, reflecting on 15 years since identity crisis, and he was saying that, like, you know, you can't just not talk about, you know, rape exists in our culture, and it's weird in some ways to not talk about it, because then it's almost like you're saying like, you, that like I forget exactly how I phrased it, but it's almost weird to, to pretend it doesn't exist. But, I don't know if I needed it to exist in my comics like this, like, I, I, like, I get what he's saying, but at the same time, does it need to exist in comic book fiction, and not just in comic book fiction, but like I don't know, there's something about the mainstreamness of DC characters, and especially a DC event, which is meant to kind of appeal to a broad audience, generally speaking. And then you know you already kill off a character pretty gruesomely, uh, although obviously deaths be, in comics can be much more gruesome than that. And then do then have a rape right away? Um, definitely felt like something that maybe didn't have to happen like that. Um, like, did I need Dr. Light to be a rapist in order to think, you know, to make him a bigger threat? Like he could have, you know, I, I, he didn't necessarily have to have, you know, raped Sue or been in the process of raping Zune. This is Sue. He could, have, it could have been any physical threat or assault and somehow without it being sexual. And I think I would have been, a, I, I wouldn't have felt as creepy about it. Like, um, and I guess I obviously Brad was trying, Brad Meltzer was trying to show how dangerous, uh, it is you know to have a character like Doctor Light, and then he's able to you know get on there and and find someone who's you know doesn't have powers who's connected to one of the characters, and then what that did to to them and to her, and um, and now I did like the idea that they kind of were able to kind of say that he wasn't always this way, and they actually took a took a, a vote and decided to to mind wipe um, the character, and that is interesting perspective, and I like, you know, kind of the sides that people came on, and I think that still works well for me in terms of a divide within the league that, you know, this is so dangerous, our loved ones are at risk, look what happened to Sue, we have to prevent this from ever happening again, and then the idea is like, can, do we, do we stop this from happening by mind wiping him, but obviously they, you know, he ended up being kind of a moron after that, so that it's not necessarily that simple, but um, the idea that, you know, she was going to clean him up or make him less dangerous, and then the idea that it came up to Barry to make that choice. Um, Barry Allen, at this point again, was a long dead character. Not, you know, he made appearances here and there um, through time travel, but he was he was dead and gone. And the idea that, you know, he was kind of the, uh, you know, not the big the, the 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 Boy Scout, but a little bit more pragmatic than that. But you know, what what choice would he make? And he just kind of decided the guess uh, to do it. And then after that, obviously, uh, Doctor Light ended up being a joke that the Titans fought all the time. And then the idea that even elongated mind man didn't realize that you know they played with his mind. And you have Kyle Rayner being like you're all insane. Uh, Wally's not taking it very well, and what that means about what Barry did. And there, you know, the, and then there's this great line, which again we have got to remember what it was like to read it when it first happened. The idea that even if you know Kyle saying even if it was the only time you guys mess with someone's head. And then this look that Rags Morales is able to show on Green Arrow's face, and then Kyle being like what. And although I have to, I'm not a huge fan of how Kyle looks throughout this series. I think he did struggle maybe a little bit with nailing his look. And I feel like I actually. I don't have the audio of it anywhere, but I actually talked to Rags Morales in, in 2004 um, at a fan expo about his work on this. I think I got the first th- two or three issues signed, and um, he, uh, whatever had come out at that point. And he said that he had a hard time getting a handle on Kyle at first, and you can kind of see it in the first issue or two. And the, anyways, she just says, what? And you have this look of Ollie, and Ollie just says, what makes you think it was the only time? And that's what really got people thinking, uh, like, what does this mean? And then you have Elongated Man going in and getting blasted out, and then having Deathstroke showing up, and being have, uh, he's just been hired by, uh, by Dr. Light. And this is when I learned to respect Deathstroke in a big way. Um, and at the same time, at the end of the issue, you have them figuring out that it wasn't uh, Dr. Light who killed Sue Dibney. But, um, at, again, at the time, I didn't really know much about Deathstroke. Like, I think I probably knew a bit about him from Teen Titans. Um, you know, and but I hadn't really seen him in anything. Like I hadn't really read any comics with uh, Deathstroke at that point. So this is my entry point to Deathstroke and really learning what kind of a cool badass. And I think for a lot of people, they, they definitely point to his fight sequence here as in issue three as one of the coolest Deathstroke moments because uh, it really played up how dangerous a character he is and able to take out. You know a lot of different Justice League all at once, and being very methodical in the way he does it, knowing who's who's about to face more or less, and being able to take them out, and being able to systematically take down a Justice League squad. Now it's not the most powerful Justice League squad, obviously. Um, you've got Zatanna, Hawkman, Black Canary, Flash, Green Lantern, and uh, Green Arrow. So again, not the, the the biggest heavyweights, but definitely still dangerous. And how he's you know he's able to quickly you know set off uh, you know C five. While he goes around it, and then you have uh, Slade knowing exactly where he's going to go, and he's able to stab him in the you know the upper upper uh, abdomen, um, and then knowing to immediately go up against uh, Zatanna, knowing where to you know which where to direct a blow, and then being able to make it so that she can't speak any words. And then you have, like, Hawkman jumping at him, and he goes, like, with his own sword, but then instead cuts off uh, the harness so that, you know, he can't fly. He's able to then jump, and, like, he's able to knock away um, an arrow from Green Arrow, and then he's able to, you know, swipe at him, and Green Arrow ducks reflexively, but then realizes too late that he wasn't actually trying to take off his head, and instead was able to try and get all the flushettes of all of his bows so that it wouldn't be as easy for him to grab um, any of his arrows. Like, it's such a great well choreographed scene like I can only imagine what it would have been like to sit there and come up with how does he take out all these people in a way that makes sense like being able to quickly jump towards Black Canary and like throw a, a mask over her so she can't use her her uh, her own abilities, and then quickly slap cuffs on her while he's doing this. And then the only one he's you know not really able to get is maybe getting the uh, the atom, but he's able to you know blast him too. And then he instinctively turns into regular size and then smashes in the Hawkman, like just looking at it. And then even having Green La- Green Lantern go for Slade and being able to grab him and then break his fingers so that he can't get the ring going. Like it's a brutal but awesome scene. Even then having a Green Arrow jump on him and stab. Uh, Deathstroke in the bum eye with an arrow. like It's so crazy and so interesting, again, to read it because you have Slade being so methodical and then that pushes him over into an emotional edge and then it kind of ends up losing it and then they all take him out. And then there's this great sequence where it's the exact same basic idea of what happened with when everyone was taking on dr light and this is again when you're first reading this at the time you're like wait a minute batman wasn't in that shot from before what the hell is he doing there and you realize that you know dr light realizes that everyone messed with his mind and that's when you know all the pieces start to fall uh very very cool and again we got more revelations as to you know all the different things that have happened and why they've you know, change people's mind, uh, memories and what this means for everyone, and you know whether or not Superman was new about it. Like again, this is from a murder mystery perspective. Not only are you learning all this, but. You're also, you know, getting to see the divisions happening for these heroes in a way that makes sense, and it's not super artificial. You can kind of understand why people would make different uh, decisions. And then you start to move into kind of the new phase of the story because the idea that, you know, someone's targeting loved ones, and then you have Gene Loring supposedly getting attacked. Uh, although she gets uh, saved by Ray Palmer uh, at this point they were not married they were I guess what, divorced or just separated uh, you have everyone kind of trying to figure out how someone would get in to attack her you have Mr. Miracle on the, on the, on the stage uh, a lot of cool things again Them trying to figure out who's behind all of this and then you also have a new storyline kind of developing with um, they introduced kind of rob into the, the storyline as well as you have Captain Boomerang meeting like, his son and uh trying to you know connect with his son uh at the same time as everyone's trying to figure out what's going on you also have an interesting appearance by hal jordan as the specter at this time which just most definitely uh, grounds in this period and the idea that he knows who did it but he can't say who uh, who did it to green arrow which is interesting and is it's just interesting to see but there's an interesting comment that doesn't make a lot of sense because he says do me a favor this is Hal speaking to Oliver Queen. Do me a favor, Ollie. Make them pay when you find them. And that doesn't really end up working because of, you know, who ends up doing it. And then there is this great line where uh, Oliver just says, when are you really coming back? And Hal just says, I'm working on it. And this is, again, just before our Rebirth actually started. Uh, then you have Lois Lane opening up some mail. This is in Chapter 4. and finding someone saying, I know who your husband is. With They asked stylized. You're next. Which obviously would put everyone on head high alert. So you have the just say, like, systematically finding every kind of bad guy and, you know, trying to bring them down and see if they're the ones who maybe were doing things. Again, you have more with uh, Captain Boomerang, which, who at this point is really being portrayed in a way that we're not used to seeing, overweight, um, you know, very much out of the game, and him trying to bond with his son, where at the same time you have Tim Drake trying to bond with his dad. And, he, and then you, and then this is, leads into a great sequence where you have, you know, Jack Drake going and finding this box in his... In his uh, in his kitchen, it says Jack Drake with the R stylized to an R and then opens up and says protect yourself and it's a gun. So he, you know, he calls Oracle and he's like, I'm looking for Robin. I think my life might be in danger. So while this is happening, you hear something on the roof and you know that, you know, and you realize that, you know, someone's coming for him. So then you have Batman and Robin and they're just in the car and they're, they're like, you know, Tim, you got to get home. He's like, what's wrong? It's like, it's your dad, and it's this great shot of of uh, the Batmobile just spinning out and like turning around and going back to where they were, and this call going through between uh, Tim and uh, and his dad, and you know, he's just talking to him. He's like, it's gonna be okay. Like, you know, you gotta get. He's like, it's, you know, he's in the hall. He's like, you got to get out of there. Batman's trying to get in touch with Wally. They can't get in touch with him because um, that's the only speech are active at the time. And there's, again, some of the work by Rags and Rales is what makes this work because you have this great shot of Tim Drake. And this is when you really feel like he is just a kid looking at Batman, just saying, Bruce, please, please help him. And they're just trying to talk to him. And you just have t- um, Jack Drake just saying, just keep my boy safe. Just please keep him safe. Um This really harrowing moment for Batman, just saying, not again, because he knows what it's like when a a boy loses his father. And uh, you have this sequence of, you know, Owen Mercer, uh, Captain Boomerang's son, hearing this thing about his dad. And it's like, you know, I'm leaving a calling card our card, and he's freaking out. What does this mean, dad? And it's this parallel moment of Owen not realizing what his dad's about to do, and Tim Drake worried that something's about to happen to his dad. You have Captain Boomerang break into Jack Drake's place. And then you have Jack, you know, running forward and shooting three times, being able to shoot Captain Boomerang, but the Captain Boomerang then is able to get one good shot off and hit Jack Drake in the chest, and they're both just lying there and it just ends, and it just says, Chapter 5, Father's Day. And that still fucking hits. Like, that's... As much as there might be problematic pieces in here with fridging and use in rape as a comic, in terms of ratcheting up tension, and again, I mean, in theory, in, in theory the dad is being used as the fridge in here. Like, they're really just killing off Jack Drake just to, you know, push uh, the emotional development and uh, characterization forward, or at least in a new direction for Tim. Like, there's no reason to kill that character in such a way otherwise. Um but uh, it's just just the art on here, where you have Tim finding his dad, and then trying to t- you know take the boomerang out of his chest, and Batman trying to comfort him. And it's just uh, there's a really haunting image of Mirage Miles has done of Batman just holding raw um, Tim Drake. Tim Drake has like taken off his costume as he was running up the stairs, um, and he's just you know sitting there. Batman's just holding him over the you know the, his his father's body. Like it's it's really just scary and it's really well done but you know very terrifying and the whole idea of, like for the rest of the issue is definitely about you know someone losing brothers sisters sons daughters wives uh husbands and of course fathers so you have this really interesting idea of you know you see how's uh uh, statue. You have Geoforce putting you know flowers at Terra's memorial. You have Aquaman and uh, Martian Manhunter remembering their lost children. You have Elongated Man again still uh, very upset about the loss of Sue. You have uh, Iris West, you know remembering Barry Allen. You have. Um, Wonder Woman, you know, in remembrance of Queen Hippolyta, and of course, you have, uh, you know, Bruce remembering when he lost his parents, and also uh, when Dick lost his parents, and when Tim lost his dad. So it's an extremely effective emotional kind of moment um again there's some things in here which end up spilling out into other places that we don't see much more of here the idea of you know uh dr light knowing knowing things again and remembering things and being you know back to being dangerous you have owen mercer deciding that he's going to be captain boomerang um we have you know uh deathstroke is still out there and definitely wants a piece of green arrow which eventually we would eventually uh, see them come up against each other in the future um and then we got, again, they, we finally find out that Batman was there. This is what Wally finds out. And that Batman had his own mind wipe because he disagreed with what the rest of the Justice League was doing to Dr. Light. Um which, I mean, would really push the character forward for years. Like, this is why he'd leave the Justice League. This is what kind of led up to the, you know, in Infinite Crisis, you didn't have united heroes. You had heroes very much fractured. The idea that Batman knew that something was wrong with his mind made him more paranoid, and eventually cre- he created... um Brother Eye, which is an, a, like a huge thing that kind of comes out of where they develop this storyline, and at the very end of this, we find out that um, you know it it's, ends up being Gene Loring who uh, who killed. Uh soon it, it was you know this weird misguided attempt to get back with uh, the atom uh it ended up not being you know villain at all it Was really a hero at the end and there's just so much that's packed in here because it really uh is not just a done in one it's not that simple it moves the dc universe into new places for like years um you know fragmenting relationships uh adding uh new fraught backstories it's really something to read it still works um even though there might be some pragmatic prob- uh, problematic points more often than not, it still works and it hits on an emotional level. Like just reading through it here, it's it's amazing how like the, the death of Tim Drake's dad is still such an emotional, like emotionally resonant moment that uh, is so well paced and so exciting and terrifying and uh, and really you know heart wrenching when it happens. Um, one thing I always loved about this as well is the ending is that um, you know, along man when he goes to bed and he's just you know, it's as if he's just still talking to Sue even if she's not there. And uh, they go to bed, and uh, he's like, I'll speak to you later. No, I'm fine, but I'm great. Great, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Good night, Sue. I love you, too. And it's just the ending narration of saying Ralph and Sue did me, husband and wife is so heartbreaking, but, you know, again, emotionally resonant. It still works. Um, it's still something that matters, and it shows how strong that relationship was. Uh, it was nice to kind of see it used in such a way. So that was my flashback to identity crisis. I don't know what really, I guess it was because I read that, uh, that article with Brad Meltzer recently, uh, in the last couple of days, um, just talking about, you know, looking back at identity crisis 15 years later and what that means. And then I guess I was, uh, yeah, just kind of curious and how, what, what my own feelings are, are on it. So it's, you know, this is the 15th anniversary this year it came out, you know, summer 2004. And it's crazy to think that's been 15 years. Um, you know, because so much has happened, but also the DC universe is such a different place. So it's kind of interesting to read or to read it because um, it's almost like it's a version of the DC universe that doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, like obviously, basically from. I guess, what, 86 to 2011, you had a certain version of DC continuity. Yes, you had certain things that kind of massaged it and changed it. We had Zero Hour. You had Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis. You had all these different things, but it was still, for the most part, the same continuity. And then ever since 2011, that's been different. And even though they've kind of slowly worked pieces of it back in, a lot of it just doesn't exist anymore. Like, I'm pretty sure Identity Crisis itself doesn't really exist because the characters don't exist in that way, Um, which is too bad because I like... I don't know i like the old continuity i just uh, there's something comforting about it and to go back to it and and remember what that continuity looked like it was kind of cool anyways thank you for joining me through my uh my walk through memory lane you can always email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com like the show on facebook read and review us on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and also listen to us on Stitcher. thanks again we'll catch you next time bye-bye